Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Crash Test Dummies rocked City Winery in Washington, D.C. next week. I spoke to co-vocalist Ellen Reed about the band's unique sound from mm to the Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead. Hey, Ellen Reed, thanks so much for joining us on WTOB. Oh, my pleasure. Now we're talking with Ellen Reed of the Crash Test Dummies, uh, who's been the co-vocalist since the very beginning. Uh, the band's coming to City Winery on March 15th. Um, tell us about this tour. I, I guess we're, gosh, it's hard to believe, celebrating, I guess, 30, last year was 30 years. Is that right? I think it's really 32 at this point. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a while. well yeah yeah because that first album was 91 but yeah of course you formed before that so yeah we're probably 32 years at this point wow did you did back then did you could you have ever imagined the band would still be going this long after (laughs) of course not (laughs) i i kind of thought it was just going to be a way to help pay my hydro bill as i was going through university so uh this this has been uh i still pinch myself (laughs) Absolutely. Well, to remind our listeners sort of sort of the journey. I know you were born in Manitoba, Canada. Um, what before before you met Brad Roberts and, and the gang? What, what, tell just tell me about growing up. Like, what music were you into as a kid? Um. Well, I you know when you're little, you generally listen to the music that your parents listen to. So I listened to a lot of folk music and classical music. That was that was their sort of uh, what they were into. Um, but as I got older, I I. I I don't think I was particularly unique. I, I, I liked the bands that people were into. I liked rock bands. I was a big Aerosmith fan for a long time. Um, but then as, as I got older, I got back to, to folk music and, and more roots music. So kind of came full circle. Gotcha. So then uh, the all-important meeting, Brad Roberts and, and his bro, how, how did you actually meet them? I know the original band was like the St. James Rhythm Pigs or something, but, <laughs> but how, did yeah, you meet, did. how did you run into those guys? Well, um, I, I met Brad at, at the University of Winnipeg, and at the time he had this little group that he had together that were playing at an after-hours club um, in Winnipeg called the Blue Note, and he was looking for a keyboard player just to play on a few songs and a mutual friend uh, introduced us. And so I, I just got up and, and played a few songs with them and it just sort of went from there. I didn't even sing for, I think the first full year of playing in, in that band. So, so it was just through mutual friends and a lot of luck really. So you were in when you were in the band back, even with, when it was St. James rhythm pigs, then you were, saying- I was, I think it was 1986. Wow. wow. Yeah. I was a, I was one year old. 
<laughs> exactly. Well done. <laughs> um, well, so how does it involve, how did it involve to become the, you know, the change the name to crass test dummies? I know, gosh, I remember growing up in the eighties, there was all those, you know, PSA commercials with the crash, t- crash test dummies. Was, was that, did that inspire the name at all or where'd it come from? Well, it actually came from um, a medical student friend of Brad's who, who he was, as I say, in medical school, and he had been watching crash test simulations all day long. And he suggested that one. He had also suggested the oxymorons, which was one that I kind of wanted. I had uh, sort of been leaning towards the oxymorons, but crash test dummies won out, and I, I guess we're stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would have been the oxy. They would have been the morons, right? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Let's <laughs> let's say that. <laughs> yeah, if and Fred was on here, he'd probably say the opposite. <laughs> but you have the microphone. Uh, that's that's really cool. So wait, so I, I'm curious now because you know. Um, Gosh, my wife and I have been listening to in in prep for this interview. She 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 was like when I mentioned it, she was like, "Oh my god, my dad bought that album. We played it all the time. We've been listening to it over and over again." Um, did Brad Roberts have that deep baritone voice from the start, or was that something he sort of sculpted when when Crash Test took off? No, he's always been a bass baritone, and I think when we were first starting out, he kind of struggled with that because all of his you know, musical idols were, had higher voices and could do those sort of heavy metal high screams and stuff. And he, he struggled with that, but then eventually he just, he started writing material for his, for his range. And uh, I think, you know, he did a lot better for that. So Wait, yeah, so he, he struggled at first. So you said his idols were the higher pitch. Like, what are we talking about? Like Robert Plant, that kind of stuff? Well, like, you know, he, he liked, uh, what was he into? He was into like Kiss. I, I mean, most, most male vocalists at the time were had a higher range than Brad it's you know he's kind of at the lower end of of the pop the pop genre um but yeah he liked Alice Cooper and Kiss and and you know country musicians there weren't a lot of bass baritone um singers out there so he didn't really have anyone that he could sort of emulate so he, he had to write music for himself that was in his range Right. I guess you didn't get your Randy Travis's and stuff until after that. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, but he, but he doesn't speak like that, right? He's not like, hey, do you want to form a band? Like he doesn't talk like that. <laughs> um, He has a very low voice. He has like, uh, he's not putting, he's not putting it on. He, he does have a very low voice. So it's just organically comes. That's nice. That's it, awesome. It, that's well, just who he is. Okay, great. So, all right. So then, um, obviously, then that that first album, man, the it's called "The Ghosts That Haunt Me," nineteen ninety one. Obviously, you're there singing, you know, harmonizing, singing the co vocals and everything. Um, to take me into that song particularly, that is such a powerful song. I know, I know, Brad wrote that one, I guess, but um it's sort of like letting go of your past demons and, and, and coming into a new form of yourself. Like just talk about what makes that song, the ghost of haunt me so powerful. Um, well, I don't know. I think it really depends on the listener you know, every, everyone has uh, a different interpretation of, uh, of what the songs mean. I mean, for me, it's more like, uh, you're, you, when you meet someone and they accept you for who you are, you can, you can let go of, of all these things that have been haunting you, you know, you're so kind. I know you would not mind um, to send away the ghosts that haunt me now. So it's, I think it's about being accepted for who you are, you know, warts and all. Um, but you know, to be honest, you'd have to ask Brad what what he was talking about. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. But I'm sure you'll be able to provide at least some juicy tidbits on the recordings of some of these ones, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, well, the recording, I was there. The writing of the song, I I wasn't, you know, I I wrote my own parts, but I didn't didn't write the music or the lyrics. So when we recorded that song in Winnipeg in 1990, good God, um, (laughs) you know, uh, we, we recorded that whole record in 10 days. Um, and Brad had a horrible bronchial infection for the whole thing. And it was our first record and we were very green. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience, but for, for what that song means, that one song means, I think I, I'll, I'll say it again. I think it really depends on the listener and, uh, w- what it means to each individual. Well, I think your summary of it was pretty was pretty spot on. But yeah, that's the beauty of music. Everybody will take something from it. Um, and I know the other one, just the other real quick on that first album, Superman song was huge, especially in Canada. Why do you think that took off? It was sort of like a, it was like Superman and Tarzan. One was, I guess, sort of like a, I don't know, like a political liberal activist. Tarzan was like a laissez-faire capitalist. Like, how, I mean, that is some <laughs> deep, that's some deep stuff. But why do you think it took off so much, especially in Canada? Um, I, I, I really don't know what, why a song will or won't uh, take, you know, become successful in, in any market in particular. It, it really just depends on the state of radio and, and how much support you have behind it. But, you know, I think it's, it's a song about the underdog and the, the, the behind the scenes people that make things happen. You know, Superman didn't get a lot of he didn't make money for what he was doing, but he he did it because he cared about his community and his society. Whereas Tarzan was just, uh, you know, in this particular telling of it was just, you know, pounding his chest and, and making a fuss. <laughs> gotcha. It's a, it's a, it's a clever juxtaposition. Um, <laughs> well, very cool. So at that point, you're huge in Canada, you're winning, you know, group of the year at the Juno awards, which is, I guess, sort of like a Canadian style Grammys kind of a deal. But then the second album is when you, you know, crash test dummies blows up, obviously like worldwide famous God shuffled his feet in 93, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, that that album, I mean, every, every I feel like everyone had that album when, when it came out. I mean, that that title, t- take me into sort of the recording of that that title track, because again, I mean, the lyrics, obviously, Brad, you, again, I'd have to ask them about God resting on the seventh day, people gathering to ask him questions, all that stuff. But just any stories you can share from a rec- the recording side of that? Um. Well, we recorded in, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and we, we, we had a lot more support behind, a, behind us from the record company because of the success of the first record. And Brad was very much hands-on in the recording of this record. He, uh, he spent hours and days searching for sounds that, that he wanted to, to create the sound that he wanted for that record. He, was, he, he really did... Uh, huge amount of the production on that record you know I would say the majority um so he worked very hard and there there is nothing by accident on that record um but the recording of that song um there are so many tracks there are 20 tracks of me of background vocals alone so (laughs) that tells you a, a little bit about the sort of the depth that we sort of went into creating the sound of that record and especially that one track um, the, the guitar solo, the Adrian Blue guitar solo, I think that was at least 10 tracks um, that were uh, mixed together by Tom Lord Algae. He really crafted that album into, into something very magical, I think. Um, 
so yeah, that that album was there. Nothing was by accident on that album. It was very, very plotted out and um, not in an overproduced way, I don't think, but more in a very uh, deliberate way and just to create the sound that that we wanted to make. Um, so it was it was more like a, finishing a puzzle than, than coloring, <laughs> you know, just being, it, 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 I don't know how to put it, but it was, it was very well crafted, I think. Right. Very well. And how many, you said 20 tracks throughout the whole, on the album stack? No, 20 tracks that. just on God Shuffled His Feet on that one song. Just on the one song, 20, 20 tracks. 20 like if you, tracks. I'm trying to paint a visual picture for the radio, you know, or, or podcast. So yeah, listeners, if you can imagine like, you know, your, your iMovie or, you know what I mean? Your, your garage band, whatever software people have, imagine 20 tracks stacked up on top of each other. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's just, just, back just for one song. Yeah, just for one song. That's just God <laughs> shuffling his feet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, all right, cool. Well, then, I mean, when I have to ask you about the hit single off, the, the real big famous one off of that was, I don't even know how to say it. I guess, mm, mm, mm. That's right. That's <laughs> um, but that thing, you know, it's funny. It's always funny to me when sometimes there's a song that's like, you know, it becomes a hit. People can sort of sing along to it, but they're not really even remembering what, you know, it's, it's so famous for them on the radio and in their album. But then when you really look at the lyrics, it's about it's some it's some deep stuff. It's child suffering and, you know, the 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 hair changing pigment went through after, uh, you know, a, a tragic event or birthmarks or the kids getting pulled out of school for the church speaking in tongues. Like there's some deep, there's some deep stuff in that song. Um, why do you why do you think it works so well? I ask again. <laughs> well, um, I think internationally. Well, I, I think ultimately it works because it's just a good song and melodically i think it's beautiful um lyrically i think you know because it's easy to go hmm, 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 in english as in german as in you know french like it, it everyone could hum along to that song and it was very it wasn't like anything else that you were hearing on the radio at the time but but in that same token in the same breath nothing was of uh sort of radio was a lot more free then there was no it was alternative right everyone was looking for something very different and we were very fortunate that we were becoming popular during the time that alternative music was was becoming more popular um but why that song became so popular i you know the at first the album wasn't doing that great um in canada um with that single like the record company was a little concerned and then it was it was a, a few radio stations in america that that broke the album based on that song i think atlanta was the first uh the first uh market to really pick it pick that song and, and make it a, make it into a story so uh yeah i, I it was really <laughs> why that song became popular is just because a couple of radio stations just liked it and played the crap out of it and so it created a story for other radio stations to to follow yeah and i think you nailed it when you said that it's just the idea of humming is universal that's universal language no matter what country you're listening to absolutely right sure um and if you'll permit me one more deep dive into that album because i'm sure there's a million other albums we could talk about but um that one 
I've, you know, I'm so many people have listened to it so many times, but there's so many like existential, like deep songs on that. Like afternoons and coffee spoons was like, sounded like, you know, fear of, of getting old and you know <laughs> that's your life in a nursing home or whatever. Um, yep. uh, the, the psychic was man. It's like, if, if in that case, it's like, would this psychic keep it a secret if she knew I was going to die? Like there's some deep stuff. And then two nights in a maiden, you get eaten by, they get eaten by the tigers after frolicking, <laughs> <laughs> but like, Man, I mean, do, do you have a particular, um, you know, favorite of, of, let's call those like sort of deeper cuts on that album? Is there one that sort of deals with those sort of existential themes that, that maybe wasn't one of the, the hit radio songs, but ones that, you know, is one of the deeper ones later in the album that, that really speaks to you? Um, <laughs> yeah, Brad has a very, uh, very specific view, uh, viewpoint on life. He has a, a very particular way of looking at the world and, and that does come through in all of his lyrics. Um, he has a lot of questions. You know, he has an, he's an English philosophy student in, in his whole life. So uh, he, he always asks the big questions, not a lot of moon spoon June for Brad. But <laughs> as far as my favorite track on that record, God, um, I like Swimming in Your Ocean. It was a single. I don't think it was a single in the States. It was a single in Canada, but uh, musically, I, I, I love that song. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I guess Swimming in Your Ocean would be my, my favorite on that record. There you go. That's that's her. That's her pick. Uh, all right, cool. Well, then um, I, I won't go as deep dive into all the albums, but just take me, you know, more of a bigger picture as you move forward after that massive success of, of that album. Um, Talk about sort of how the band's sound sort of evolved, because I know like A Worm's Life, the next album was was a hard, much harder sound. And then after that, you get into like some, you know, electronic kind of funk stuff. And um, but I know your um, your voice becomes takes an even more prominent position. And it's almost like it sounds like a, a female lead singer on some of those songs as we're getting into like the mid 90s, as opposed to the deep baritone of Brad stuff in the early 90s. Um, how did that transition sort of happen? Like, how did you become to the forefront there a little bit on some of those? I think Brad's always been very conscious of not wanting to present the same record twice. He wants, he doesn't, not just because he wants to give the listener something different, but because he, it's boring to write the same record and same music over and over again. Um, and so bringing my voice more into the fore was just a, a way of breaking up the, the bass baritone thing and, and showing that we had a little bit more um, stylistic range. Um, so yeah, I think it's more of just not wanting to do the same thing twice. Right, that makes sense. And and did, does it did it sort of parallel and reflect the times a little too? Because you know you think the early '90s, you think of that grunge sound, which would have would have fit Brad's baritone voice a little more. And then around mid '90s, you're starting to get cranberries and that kind of stuff, and your voice becomes prominent. Did you know? Did you think it reflected the times a little too? Um, not. I don't think it was a conscious decision. Um, I I. I I really don't think it was a conscious decision. I mean, I started singing leads on like on Peter Pumpkinhead and that was just because they, they want uh, the people who are doing Dumb and Dumber, the movie, right. Um, right. wanted us, saw that I was singing that song live in the show just for the live shows and they wanted us to record it. Uh, so that was just, um, you know, something that happened. It wasn't a conscious thing. And as far as me doing leads, that, that happened on our fourth record. Um, and yeah, I think it was that was more of a conscious effort just to 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 present the listener with a, a different a different uh, a different sound. 
Well, it, it really worked out. And you, you stole my next question because I'm a huge Dumb and Dumber fan. I can't say that without laughing, but it's the Citizen Kane of stupid comedy. I love it. Um, <laughs> tell me, I was going to ask if you, you know, any of your stuff had been in, in movie soundtracks. And then I was researching and I was like, of course, Dumb and Dumber. Yes, I for, I'd totally forgotten. Ballad of Peter Bumpkin. <laughs> tell me about the experience of working. I mean, who would have predicted one of the directors, the Farrelly's, would go on to win Best Picture like, a couple decades later? But uh, Dumb <laughs> green book but dumb and dumber um just talk about the experience of that did they did did they show you any footage of jim carrey and jeff daniels did did you had you already been working on the song separately or how did that come together well we had been i had been singing the song uh peter Pumpkinhead in our live shows for for a while it was really just a, a live show thing a, an opportunity for me to get out front and center and and uh, just to provide a little bit of musical color, just a little bit of change to the show, right? Change things up a bit. And the people who were putting Dumb and Dumb and Dumb and Dumber together approached us and asked us if we would record it for their movie. We didn't know anything about it. Well, we knew it was a, a, a Jim Carrey uh, movie, but we didn't know anything about the movie. Um, but, you know, we, we said, sure, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Um, and there are actually two Crash Just On Me songs in, in that, uh, in that movie. Oh, uh, they, the they used, mm -mm -mm. oh, that's in the movie too. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's in the movie as well. Um, so yeah, they just asked us to record it. And so we did, it really wasn't anything, um, anything to, uh, you know, there was no big celebrity sightings or anything like that. It was just very much a business transaction. Um, uh, but it was fun. It's fun, and it turned out to be quite a hit, especially in Canada. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, real, I, I don't mean to tangent on this too much, but I mean, Dumb and Dumber is of utmost importance. Do you, do you know Do you know what scenes they appear in? When does it make its appearance in the movie? Okay. Um, Peter Pumpkinhead appears when they're in a diner, I think, and it's on the jukebox. Like I've, okay. I've only seen it once when it first came out, so this is a while ago. Is that where they hit and the guy then, with the salt shaker? Oh, I don't remember, but I know they're in a <laughs> diner and they're, I think yeah. one of them's eating a hamburger. I can't remember. Yeah, and yeah. then mm -mm, they're, it's when they get, they're traveling and they get out of their vehicle and they're arguing. And I think that's when one of them walks away in a huff and there's like, uh, like wheat fields or something. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's been about 30 years since I've seen it. <laughs> no, you're no, you're totally right. It's all coming back to me. They fight and he walks off and then and and then he comes and then Jim Carrey comes back on like a little um like a little scooter. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> I think wanna, that's it. You want to go to Aspen. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, thank you for doing that deep dive. I wasn't expecting to go there. <laughs> um oh. <laughs> And you've been really generous with your time. We won't keep you forever. But I mean, of all those other later albums, I mean, let's let for instance, let's say there's someone listening to this that, of course, knew knew Ghost of Haunts Man, of course, picked up God Shuffled His Feet. I mean, everyone had that. Maybe A Worm's Life. You know, maybe they were huge fans back then. But of, of your later stuff, you know, the not let's say the non as mainstream stuff. Is there is there any album you would you would tell them, nudge them to go pick up and say like, hey, you know, if you if you're if you're coming out to our our show here at City Winery, um, you know, what what should you pick up and listen to of the later stuff? I can tell you without even hesitating to get Ooh La La. Now that's the last recording that we did about twelve years ago, and it's a beautiful record. I can just say that without hesitation it's a beautiful record and there's a song and it's beautiful on it so that's fitting yeah ex exactly it's it, and we we do uh 
one or two songs from that record. Um, and one of them, I can tell you that, well, last night when we played at Daryl's house, we had like, there were four people in the front row crying. So we're going to make you cry. Wow. <laughs> make you yeah, cry. Yeah, is, make yeah. you cry songs. <laughs> That's fantastic. Bring All right, tissue. very cool. Anything else you want to say before we hop off here? I mean, uh, everybody, you have to come check it out. It's at City Winery on March 15th. So coming up really soon next week. So you better get your tickets soon. But uh, I speak directly to the listeners. Come on out, guys. What, you know, why should they come? Washington, D.C., yes. Come down to, to uh, the City Winery in, in D.C. because um, City Winery always treats us very well. You know, it's a, a, it's a great place to see a show and it's a great place to be a musician to play a show because um, everything's very consistent and professional and it always sounds good so yeah we're we're very excited about about the upcoming show so yes come see us come see us awesome again it's ellen reed of crash test dummies coming to city winery in washington dc on march 15th so get your tickets now hey this was a blast thanks so much for doing this my pleasure thank you for having me Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.